Welcome to The Soul Next Door. As human beings, we are striving for connection, trying to make a difference in each other's lives. As we look at our world, we might feel deeply frustrated or saddened as injustice, separation, hate and fear seemingly dominate our society and we seem too small to make an impact. However, if everybody opened the door to listen to one voice that needs to be heard, we could send a wave of kindness into motion and create a neighborhood of compassion and understanding. Are you ready to spread some kindness? We encourage you to open the door and share your thoughts. The soul next door might need to hear exactly what you have to say. Hi everyone and thanks for tuning in to the second episode of The Soul Next Door. I'm Swan and I'm here with my co-host Nicole. Hello wonderful souls. And our guest speaker today is Samantha Daisy who's a care manager for families with Alzheimer's and chronic needs among other things. She's also got her own podcast called The Bridges We Build and her social media is called Care with Abundance. Before we talk to her in just a moment, here's her talk about grief, caregiving and self-care. This is Samantha Daisy, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share the bridges we build. I am here today to touch base with you about a topic that is a little taboo in our culture. We don't talk about it very much, only if we have to, and it can get uncomfortable. I'm here to talk about grief. And grief can take so many different forms. It can be the loss of a job. It can be the loss of perhaps some physical abilities that you used to have that you can no longer uh, perform certain tasks or basic functions. It can be the loss from a move, changing an area and leaving what you knew. There are so many ways that we form connections and attachments, and in some ways, really risk. We open our hearts and we bond and connect to humans, to experiences, sometimes to hard, tangible objects, whether it's a car or a home, but we form these attachments. And the thought about forming an attachment to whether it's a, a hard object, something that's physical or a person or an experience. Sometimes it's hard to really grasp where did this attachment, how did this attachment become so strong and profound in my life? And a lot of times I think it's moment by moment, day by day, week by week. And we don't even realize that these meanings, these loves are getting bigger and bigger by the moment, by the month, by the year. Until something changes and we don't have this physical object or experience or human in our life anymore. 
And that can feel shocking and jarring and stunning to our systems. Whether it is our choice to move or let go of an object, a car, a home, or let go of an experience or let go of a relationship, even when it's our choice, the transition can still be sticky and profound. So when it's not our choice, and the choice is something that is made for us, when we lose a loved one to death in the way that we know here physically on earth, their bodies are no longer with us. And if you're the primary person in relationship, that is even more profound. And for those of us who are around that person, there can be secondary grief. So say, you know, you have a a best friend or someone that lost someone, you also experience that with them, for them, through the empathy and through other losses that you have had in your own life. Those are brought up as you're supporting someone else through this process. And you may not even realize it. You may not understand it. You may not know it. And you may be wondering, why why is this feeling so strange? What's going on with me? This isn't my loved one. But it is. We are all so connected to one another. And we think that we're separated and we're different. But really, there is no difference between you and I and everyone else. We are the collective. Energetically, we are all one. That is my belief. That is my opinion. And so when, especially someone dear to us has a loss, that becomes ours as well through our radical empathy, our emotions. We feel it cellularly. And what do we do with that as we support someone that we care about? I think it's important to pause and realize that this is also your own experience and to take the time to nourish yourself, to take the time to sit quietly and feel your feelings, to journal, to listen to music or meditate with, I love the Insight Timer. There's also Calm, there's so many free apps that you can use that if sitting alone in silence feels like too much to you, then use support. You don't have to do it the way that someone else suggests. Find a way that suits your body and soul. But in order to be there for those that we want to support and and that we love, the work has to be done before and after for us. And if we don't do this work, it sneaks in to your day. 
it sneaks in in ways that you don't even realize and you're not quite sure why you're feeling off or funky and your focus might be off. It's just a little fuzzy around the edges because I I call it the whispers because your soul is whispering to you. I, I need some love. I need some attention. This is about me too. And so I'm here to talk about grief and these transitions and for us to realize when they are not so obvious and you're feeling these feels and hearing these whispers to pause and take the time for yourself. There are different ways that each of us choose to do it. And the self-talk, it's so important to not be critical of yourself in these moments and say, oh, I'm overreacting. This is, this is silly. I, I can work through this. I just, I just have to do X, Y, and Z. I just have to push through. And I'm not saying there aren't responsibilities that you need to be accountable for. There always are. And how can you push pause yet take care of you? Can you have a friend or a family member or someone step in for just a moment and pick up the slack? even if it's just for an hour or two or can maybe maybe things can just wait for a day it will still be there and for those who are pounding on your door and saying no i need it now whether it's a business or a friend or a loved one maybe they need to know and hear that you're human and that you need a minute because it's the very thing that they desperately need to do for themselves but have not given themselves permission to do so. And by you declaring this, then they can declare it for themselves too. So why now? If we don't do these things now, when will we take the moments to nurture and care for ourselves. If these moments of grief are in vain, if these relationships, if these different loves and whispers that we've had in our lives that had meaning, all of a sudden we're just erasing them because it's not convenient, so we're just supposed to clean the window and pretend it's not there because, because society says, move on, hurry up. I say no. I say absolutely not. That we all are called to be more human. To let each other be humble and forgiving and accepting of the fact that we have moments where we just feel perhaps broken 
even though we're not. But it feels like we might be shattered. And all of those pieces are our soul and our heart saying, yes, those relationships, those experiences were huge in my life because I risked, because I loved. And it's not to say, don't do it again. It's to say, pause and acknowledge those. And continue forward so that you can feel this bright, huge space again with other humans, with other experiences, with other things. Because that's what this is about for each of us to live our biggest life that we possibly can. And to share that with others. And we're mirrors for one another. We're reminders to each other about the forgiveness and the humility and the space to be human and to love and to risk. I think grief is the other side of the abundance we have created If we didn't have these abundant lives, there wouldn't be grief. So I'm sending all of you so much love and thinking of you and wanted to share my experience with one of my dearest friends and just speak to this because grief is not talked about enough. And it's not just the loss of a physical being. It can be manifested and represented in so many li- so many different ways in our lives. And to notice that. And when you feel that, to be thankful. Oh my gosh, I had I had this amazing experience. And I will have more in different ways with different people in different places. And so it is. And so it is. Samantha, thank you again for being here with us. Um, I enjoyed listening to your talk a lot. Um, I especially enjoyed and loved the fact that you talked about different forms of loss and grief because sometimes you know in life the biggest loss that we experience is not caused by death and they can affect us in minor and major ways like every single day and what they do have in common i think is that there are certain established connections that are just disrupted which then leads to certain reactions in the brain and the brain's response again has us feel different emotional physical mental yeah, emotions basically and responses and it can somehow have us locked in like a like a constant stress response and so my first question for you is do you have any thoughts or ideas or maybe even experience as to how to navigate through this initial phase of grief like just after you experience loss 
So uh, first of all, ladies, thank you so much for having me as a guest. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you both. So thank you. And secondly, in, in terms of your question about the initial phase of, of grief, there's two experiences I have. I, as a social worker in a, a long-term care unit, I, I saw it, I lived it with the families and I experienced it with them. And I, in that situation, many of them perhaps had already experienced the initial grief of my loved one is in a different physical capacity because they're already in a hospital setting. So there was a loss of a status, a physical ability. Mm-hmm. And so they had initially been through that so that if and when there was there was a loss, in some ways it prepared them because they had the initial loss of an altered status before they had the the loss that we know more traditionally as their loved one truly passing on. Right. And I, and I think regardless whether it's the transition because there's been a change or the true loss as we know it, the initial phase, losing a loved one, I really believe everything in that moment and time just needs to be put on pause. I remember when I was a social worker, it was so different versus my experience when I lost my dad and I was no longer working in the hospital. And I felt like, how and why is the world still going? Why didn't everyone stop? Why, why are people acting like nothing has happened? And it just felt so profound and so, and so disconnected. Like inside I was humming and it was primal and I couldn't understand even though I'd been working and holding hands with families and doing this for years. But then when I lived it firsthand with a very significant relationship, the others were more secondary, third relationships that weren't as close. I think Mm -hmm. the most important thing is to just pause and stop because it's so numbing. And then, and to just be with that because it's a different way of being and to whether it's go into the mode of being with a blanket on the couch, go into bed, hold hands with those that you love, but to just be with that space, because I don't think that you're meant to be in a doing, in a doing energy in those moments. I think it's very much a cocoon phase to just pause. But nonetheless, you were talking about that we try to push through that grief very fast right that we have that self-talk like just go through with it and I think um, to be able to hear you need to let the grief in and acknowledge it as you just said if others are saying sentences like for example it's not that bad or get over it and um, are you still on that then it's not acknowledged right and then you kind of turn to despair because nobody understands you and you feel all alone, right? I agree. I think those things can be very triggering. And I, I think people mean well and our society has been taught, especially here in the States, it's more profound than I think other countries or cultures where certain cultures and countries really honor this space and have rituals that mm-hmm. build in the time and 
this way of honoring the person that is now still energetically with us, but not in the physical way that we knew. So I think to let go of any of those words or terms or feedback that people are providing that just don't land and to know that they perhaps haven't really experienced grief and or that's just what they've been taught and that this is our lesson and to come from a space of love and connect with those who do understand who have been in this space I think that's so powerful to even, you know, you can hold space for someone by saying, pretend that I'm your loved one who is gone. What, what do you want to say to them that you wish you could still say, pretend that I'm them. And even doing something like that can open up so much space for the things that they didn't have a chance to say, that they just are so desperately grieving for those last words or those last moments. Oh, I just love that. And I think oftentimes, well, when people saying these sentences, it's themselves, right, that they are not comfortable with other people grieving. They may be trying to help or they may not feel good with not being able to help. So that may be their own insecurities, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I think we, we share only what we know. And so I think that is the space that they've been taught or trained from. And they believe that it's working for them because they haven't necessarily dealt with grief. And what happens, though, when you don't really process and deal with the grief, then when you have another experience of grief and perhaps another, then it's compounded. And there will, at some point, an individual has a massive, like either a shattering or a breaking down because of the way that we've been taught to deal with or really not deal with grief. And so it will happen. It will happen as it's meant to be. And perhaps there needs to be the breakdown, the shattering in order to be given permission to face it. Because in our our day-to-day and our culture and our way of being, unless there's a big sign and in, in a breakdown, we don't often pause. We just think that we're supposed to push through and keep going because, oh, it's not that bad. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I don't know what people define as that bad because we're all going to pass on and we're all going to lose those we love. None of us live forever. So I think there's just so many mixed messages that we're given and it's so confusing. Absolutely. And everybody, like you said, comes from their own experience. So they might even try to console you and say something that works for them and would be really helpful for them. But you hear it and it is like a slap in the face sometimes because it's certainly not helping you. And um, I've experienced um, a lot in that area. But we also have to somehow, like I had to learn at some point that others are trying to help but they just can't help me right now and grieving is a learning process for everyone and a healing process for everyone whether you experience it firsthand or or have got secondary grief and so when you get to that point that you realize okay I have got to pause now or I take care of myself now um, and say to others I need this and I don't need that 
I, I cannot help you right now. I've got, I need time for myself right now. How can we come up with that bravery? Because for me, it feels brave to say like, no, not now. I don't have time for you right now. I need this time for myself. Right. No, I think that's a really great question. And in some ways, that's when I like the fact that we have technology in all these different ways. So that if you don't feel like you physically can use your words and your voice verbally because you're just perhaps a bit too wobbly and just don't feel strong enough, mm -hmm. I think texting, I think an email and to to let your your friends or whoever is trying to offer the support to you, let them know, you know, in this moment, I need X, Y and Z and I, I appreciate you reaching out, but I will tell you when I'm ready to connect or, but to be really specific. And I love that we can do that and not have to actually pick up the phone and talk to someone with our wobbly voice and, and tears, yeah. because if that person is not feeling like they're the person that will support me in the way that I need to be supported right now, then don't go there to that human go to the humans that you feel will envelop you with love. And go back to those others when you're feeling like, okay, I can tell them I'm strong enough and in a space where I can put the boundaries and say, this is what's super helpful for me. It might be that people are, are wanting to bring you food mm -hmm. and you have already a freezer full of food and you don't need food anymore. <laughs> and, yeah. and to let them know, like, my freezer is full, but thank you for thinking of me. You know, and when people are doing these acts of kindness and generosity, it feels weird to say no. But it's okay to say no and to give ourselves permission to do so because we're being true to us. And that by being true to us, it's also giving others the experience of what this process looks like in reality. Because I think in reality, people haven't been given that peek through the window. People have not really opened the window or the door to their grief. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And people are trying to stay strong, right? And to not show that they are vulnerable or that they are grieving. And also, especially, I think the people who experience secondary grief, I just love that you brought that up in your, in your talk. Because what I experience is that, especially the people who are secondary grieving, they want to be strong for the other one. So maybe they don't allow themselves to grieve as well. So how could we navigate through that? When I experienced it just recently, I didn't even at first realize it. And that's why all of a sudden when I was feeling funky, I'm like, what is going on with me? Like I, and I'm like, of course, like what, it, why wouldn't this be a secondary grief? And it triggers, it triggers us to all of our old losses, all of our old hurt. And it is really powerful. And I think the main thing that we can do when we're starting to support others through this process is acknowledge the fact that this is going to be something that's a journey for me too. And to be ready and protective of your own space and energy, whether it's through meditation and meditating and pausing on your breath and your energy and to journal and really create the space or the vessel for what you're feeling and honoring that before you go and support your 
friend or whomever is experiencing the grief primarily. Because if we don't prepare ourselves, then when we're there in that space for the other person, we're ill-equipped and we're feeling awkward and our interaction with them will be a little bit stunted and fractured and and won't feel as natural. And I, I think to come from a very authentic and natural place is so important. Not to say that we can't have tears with them. Of course, we can have tears with them, but we don't want it to be the case where all of a sudden they're consoling us because we are so, so sad. We want to make sure that we are supporting them. So I think that's the distinction and really caring for ourselves first before we are in that space for them. And allowing ourselves to, as I'm at a point now where I know these things now and I do practice like a lot of self-care I do a lot of meditation and journaling and everything in order to you know not just support myself and others when they go through hard times but you know generally um it's it's really important that you know who am I really like what is my authentic self and how can I sustain that and nourish it and then go out, you know, and, and be there for others as well and participate in their lives as well. I'm just going to circle back um, because I want you to know that listening to your talk has opened my eyes in terms of when I went through a massive loss in my life, like one and a half years ago, I didn't even realize that other people could possibly experience secondary grief. So Nicole, for instance, she was there for me and I never understood how hard this must have been for her and how much it must have affected her. So your talk opened up my eyes to that. So I'm very thankful. I just wanted to say that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Swan. And I, I think we don't know as we're going through our first or second big losses in our lives. Some people experience it earlier than others, but as we're doing so, perhaps it was initially the grandparents and you may or may not have been as close or extended relatives, but all of a sudden when you're thrown into, when it's a primary relationship, either for you or a friend, it's, it is very different. And it just, and it's palpable. I think that's the difference is when, Like really just being in that space next to someone, you can't help but just feel all of it. And to know, it, I think we're all here talking with super highly sensitive people. Yeah. And so being a highly sensitive person, <laughs> like, like it's, it's just something that you can't walk away from. And when you're feeling that, it's, it's a lot. But at the same time, what I spoke of about, this is an embodiment of the love and the life well lived and the fact that these memories will always be cherished. And so yeah. going back to the, the fact that this is also a celebration of life and mm -hmm. the pictures and the memories and the laughter and those rituals I think are so important to bring back in, whether it's the food, the music, the stories, to honor that and remember that our loved one I believe is still always with us, perhaps in a different way than we're used to, but they're always with us and to and find comfort in that space. Yeah. And, and this applies to grieving a relationship too, right? Because mm -hmm. we tend to put that away and close that door and don't ever think about that again. I think it's as important as closing that door. It is important to cherish the moments you've had, right? 
It is. It is. And I, I want to share a, a story that just happened yesterday. My husband was going through some uh, boxes in our garage. My mom is in an assisted living facility. So we have many of her, the, the things that were in her home have been in our garage. And, you know, he took on that project and he's far better at organizing than I am. And so he was going through some things and he made a comment last night or yesterday saying that it helps. And I, I have to perk up whenever we use the word here. I don't know if it's as true there. The it, I feel like it is a mask for so much. So my ears perked up and I'm sorry. I, I said, it, it <laughs> helps. What, what are you talking about? And he, he said, I never met your dad. So going wow. through that and helping, I'm going to get misty, helping organize. I feel like I'm, I'm getting to know him and all about your family as I go through these things. And if I didn't, if I didn't, my ears didn't perk up and I didn't hear that. And he just glossed over it. He's not, you know, a huge emotional open door per se. He's an engineer. So I I have to take the little signs and be like, okay, wait, let's go back. (laughs) But it was, it was just a moment and the kids were there and they're like, they even said, wait, what, what's happening, mom and dad? Why are you getting emotional? But it was, it was such a good moment to be like, wow, that was so powerful that he's choosing this space to really meet and get to know my dad. And there are those ways to make this possible. Oh, yes. Thank you for sharing this. I was smiling all the way <laughs> through, through this. What a precious moment. How wonderful. Yes. It was. Thank you. <laughs> Oftentimes, we are not grieving the the person being gone or the or the object being gone, but the story we had with that person or with that object, right? So what I experienced when I went through a breakup, that as soon as I took the the actual state, the actual present, how it how it felt like in the present, when I took that and said to myself, well, this is what it's like, this is real, and there is no story, there is no, well, I think I have to go a bit deeper here. So uh, if I think, for example, about, well, I really wanted to marry that guy or I really wanted to have kids with him. To let that story go actually helped with the grieving process, you know? So as soon as I said, I accept that this will never happen again, the grief suddenly was gone. Do you have experience with that as well? Oh, absolutely. It's two different things. I think sometimes it's acknowledging the relationship for what it was and being thankful for the time together and that it was a chapter in a book or perhaps it was a whole novel and that that you're ready to write the next chapter or the next book of your life and to be okay with that, that it doesn't have any less meaning, but it was just meant to serve a purpose for a specific time. But, you know, I also think that sometimes it's about so much more than that. I think it's about the things that we think and envision and believe that we're supposed to have because of either the Disney Cinderella story or whatever, you know, vision that we've been given since we were so young and letting go of the fantasy and finding what is really true to our soul and what resonates with us. And I think sometimes those unanswered prayers are really the best outcomes, but in the moment, it doesn't feel like that. It feels crushing. And to let that go and know that there is a higher purpose and a higher meaning and a better connection 
but you know, in, in the book, and I just was reading it by, uh, oh my God, Robert Holden, the lovability book. It's so much more about being the person who comes from and with love so that then we can find and have it. And since you mentioned Holden, um, so he said that grief is a call for love, right? He said you should stop judging grief because grief is part of the healing process. And this is what I find so interesting because you actually need grief to heal then. And I wondered if we have negative connotation to grief. I think at least here in the States, I think it's super common to have negative connotation with, with grief. I think it's more common here uh, because we're so into doing versus being and that we are supposed to go, go, go and be productive and, and so forth. So I think there is a stigma and there's this perceived timeline, like six months or three months, like be on with it. And here, I think, you know, I don't even know if most people get time off for work that's paid. I, if it's a couple days or a week, you don't get much time here per se. So I really believe there is a lot of stigma and you're not given the permission to discuss it or bring it to work. It's supposed to be something where you're at work and you're doing work and you need to have time, manage it before or after work, but not during. And that's been my impression and feeling of it. You know, when I lost my dad and I took a week off and came back and I was definitely tearful when I returned, but there was no space for it. They, they yeah. did not necessarily give me extra time or support. They acknowledged it. And I don't think they meant it in a bad way, but it just was not honored. That's been my personal experience. It's the same here in Western Europe. Like I remember when my grandfather died a couple of years ago and I asked to get one hour off so I could make it to the funeral and they refused. <laughs> That is I'm horrible. Like, oh my goodness. Eventually, like I found a coworker who would fill in for me and then we worked it out that way. But my boss certainly said, no, we're not going to do that. And my grandfather was very close to me. So, so they said, like, we can only give you the hour off if it's your father or your mother, you know, a That's direct so relative. So, yeah, yeah, that is so absurd. When I had you know? a similar-ish experience when my dad had passed and then within a year, I think my mom got really sick. She had her appendix burst and it ended up being in the hospital for about a month. And I was about an hour and a half away in terms of where I was living. And so every day I would, you know, drive and see her and make sure she was okay because my brother was in Hawaii and I just wanted to make sure she was okay. And at mm -hmm. one point my boss was upset with me and, and said, how long is this going to go on? And, and I said, I don't know. And he said, well, this isn't okay. And I was really frank with him. And I said, I can get another job, but I can't get another mom. Yeah, you set a very clear boundary right there. And, you know, put into perspective the kind of priorities we have. It's not healthy for us in, in a lot of ways. I would like to talk about what you said earlier. You mentioned the word higher purpose. And I wrote that down while you were talking because that, that kind of struck me right there. You know, grief, it's my experience that grief never really 100% goes away, but it can get to a point where it becomes more of like a background character. And... I feel like in order to get there, you have to go through certain phases. Like one is certainly acceptance. And then there's also understanding your grief. 
um, which are like the first steps to coming to terms with it. I've got two quotes here for you, and I wonder how you feel about this. So one is by Sheryl Sandberg, and this is from the book Option B. And she writes, traumatic experience can lead to a deeper faith and people with strong religious and spiritual beliefs show greater resilience and past traumatic growth. There is much we don't understand about human experience and there is an order and purpose to it anyway. It helps us feel that our suffering is not random or meaningless. And then Brene Brown says, is spirituality a necessary component for resilience? And the answer is yes. So what is your experience with spirituality throughout this grieving process? Those quotes both say so much. Uh, <laughs> I believe that spirituality is a huge part of this process. And I think, you know, people define their spirituality in different ways and label it or call it something different. And I just really believe the higher purpose and the spirituality come down to our connections, how we define them, but also circles back really profoundly to how much we have looked within. Because if a person hasn't really connected and looked within, then I don't know that they've truly had an opportunity to take that journey because yeah. there's no way to be spiritual unless you've opened doors and wounds within. And that's not something that people necessarily choose to do unless mm -hmm. you're called. And I feel like you're called through loss. You're called to open the doors and the wounds and just kind of shed layer by layer as you're looking at the relationship and your feelings and your losses. And it's something that's a choice because many people will close that door. And it might be something where you open and close at certain times. That first year of grief, when it's the first Christmas and the first Thanksgiving and the mm -hmm. first birthday, all these first holidays that first year are profound because you get to choose every time Am I going to do it the same or am I going to do it different? How do I create this space? And so those are all invita invitations and opportunities to look at yourself and how you're going to be. And many times people may just shut that door and create busyness and doingness and not be ready to do that. And that's okay, but maybe it'll be with the next major event. So I do believe it's a profoundly spiritual experience, but it may take time to get there. I just love that David White says about pain, um, that pain is asking us to feel not only the place, but the actual way the pain is felt. So to sit with yourself. So pain is basically a way in. And so I think you can learn a lot about yourself by this grieving process and experiencing that pain, right? And this leads me to the question, you said that gratefulness is helping a lot in that grieving process. How is that connecting to that? Well, I think instead of when I think of Robert Holden's book and everything he talks about, we're either in a place of fear or love. So yeah. I think when we're not coming from gratitude through this loss 
it's because we're fearful. We're so sad and scared. Like, what will my life look like without this person? How do I go on? Our ego is a little stuck at that point. We're being a little bit selfish and understandably so about the physicality of what our world looks like without this individual. But instead to come from a place of gratitude and say, oh my gosh, wow, I shared this space and these experiences in this life or this chapter with this human and I'm forever changed because of it. And maybe it feels like it wasn't enough time and that's okay to feel like I would have loved to have more time and more experiences with this person. But nonetheless, what I did experience was awesome. And that's why I'm sad that it ended. So I think shifting it, the the shift, the ability to look and turn it on the other side to see the reason why we're sad and to realize that it's an opportunity for growth. Absolutely. I do agree. Going back to gratitude for one more time, you uh, talked about the significance and importance of it. And I feel like nowadays, at least over the last couple of years, I've I've seen a lot of people, you know, walking around with this T-shirt saying attitude of gratitude and it's becoming something that people are kind of making part of their identity. But then, you know, you can have an attitude of gratitude, but you also have to practice it. I think this is something we have to keep in mind that if we don't practice something, you know, it's not going to be very helpful for us. So we have to do the work somehow while at the same time being patient and kind to ourselves to maybe journal, have have like a gratitude journal um, on the side, things like that. And you talked about a lot of healing tools. You mentioned journaling, you mentioned meditation and so on. I've got one more question in terms of the healing tools. I know a couple of people who really, um, who will almost become aggressive when I mention creative <laughs> healing tools to them because they are like, I don't have anything to do with it. I'm not going to journal. I'm not going to sit here and meditate. And so what advice do you have for them? Like, is there anything they could do or even like neurodivergent people who will have trouble sitting down to meditate? The gratitude has become very, you know, it's become a bit cheeky or a fad. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so much more than that. And For example, in the morning when I wake up, I I try to focus on something that I'm grateful about as soon as I wake up. And oftentimes it's like, wow, I woke up today. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple. Like there are a million, is it a million people a day? I heard some statistic about who don't wake up each day, but uh, how many people don't? And the mm -hmm. fact that we do, and perhaps I, many mornings I've taken it for granted. And then also as I go to bed each night, what worked today? What was good about the day that just occurred? Even if I'm cranky and tired, there was at least one or two nuggets throughout the day. So I think those are things where you don't have to write it down because I, I think sometimes the writing down and like opening, having a pen and paper or going on your computer feels too like too much pressure. And it doesn't have to be that way. It could just be taking a moment. And then the other things, if they're not in a grateful space, maybe they're just not ready to do that. And maybe it's more about going into their their closet or their car and screaming, like, yeah. and just letting it out. Maybe it's they're not ready to have those moments of gratitude and to acknowledge that that's okay, but to let go of the sadness, the anger, and the pain. 
because until you let that go, there won't be room for the other. So I, I think it's that they are still holding on to the hurt so profoundly and gripping that they're not ready. Yes, I love those ideas too. And it's interesting because we kind of have a tendency to go into a lack mentality very quickly. So usually, like you mentioned, waking up in the morning, like you think, oh dear, I, I didn't sleep well. And this, so this is like the first thought you go into your day with. And you just have this like half a minute, one minute to just think, I'm grateful I woke up. I'm grateful I get to do this and that or whatever today. That's a wonderful idea. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Well, and also I find that if I also open the shutters right as I, after I get out of bed and I look out and see, usually it's light out, it's not dark, but usually just see the glimmer of the morning. That mm -hmm. is a nice reminder that there's a world out there that's bigger than me. Beautiful. Oh, I just love that. <laughs> Coming to our last question. As we just um, observed, uh, time is essential in the healing process. Also, you said that um, the, there is no room for grief somehow, and especially in the workplace or in, in our everyday life. So my last question is, what can every one of us do to make room for grief? You know, I, I think it's so important. And it's a great question because all around us, we have grief especially with COVID. We've mm -hmm. experienced it, you know, a secondary grief just by observing the massive losses throughout the world. It's just profound. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, and how can you not just pause and put your hand on your heart? And, and that is one of the techniques that, you know, I'm using more and more is, you know, two hands on my heart for five minutes. And sometimes I'll even go to sleep that way and literally giving myself more love to just feel all those feels because it is, it's a lot. And there are so many people even separate from COVID that have health issues, whether it's our neighbors or our, our friends, the, the cancers, the heart attacks, the illnesses. And there's been so much loss this year. And I've been supporting multiple people in multiple ways. And as I think about how I choose to do so, it's been either through a text or a phone call, letting them know I'm thinking of them. Is there anything that you need? Can I bring food? Do you need a shift covered? The, just reaching out and letting them know that I haven't forgotten them. And even if they, they say, I don't need anything, I'm fine. But to let them know that you're there is so important. And to hold space and be a person who is able to be there and loosely hold those. And by that, I mean, I think sometimes we grip because we feel like holding tight means that they feel it more. But I think to loosely hold space, whether it's our, our community, our world, or our neighbors and friends, and those ways with, with the phone calls, the texts, the letters, sending a, a card. It's so old fashioned how, how we don't do little notes or cards that just, yeah. I'm thinking of you. And for those of us who have kids or, or cousins or nephews that have, they're little and they draw a picture and I've brought a picture from the kids to someone going through this process. And it just makes them smile because it reconnects them with like a childlike joy 
I think the littlest things by just being present and supportive matter. I just love that. So basically being present is the keyword here, I think. Being present with yourself and then just not making it about you, right? Where do I come from? Do I come from, I want to help because I want to feel better mm-hmm. or I want the other one to feel better or do I help because because I'm love, right? Yes. Yes, and, and sometimes it's hard when someone doesn't want to take you up on your offer and not to know, like, what is that about and assume that it has nothing to do with you mm-hmm. and that, you know, that's okay. Because it's weird when you're offering help and support and like, why don't they want my help? It's not about us. It's about them and their journey. And they know that you're offering and that you're providing another resource to them. And maybe it's not now, but it'll be next week or next month that they'll say, hey, yes, can I go on that walk with you now? Or yes, can you come over and and just sit with me? Thank you. That was really this last part that really got to me. I'm I'm getting emotional right now. (laughs) Well, it's been an honor to be with both of you. And and it's helpful to talk this through because I I, I think there are so many layers that we don't necessarily see even as we're exploring it. And whether we realize it or not, grief is all around us because as we're growing, things around us are also letting go and no longer here it's just the cycle of life and it will always be the cycle of life wonderful thank you samantha i'm practicing joy this this week and focusing on it and this really was a joyful moment even though it's a tough topic thank you so much thank you so much for it thank you nicole thank you swan i appreciate your time and to all of you listening right now thank you so much for joining us today Feel free to send us some feedback or thoughts to our email address, which is thesoulnextdoorpodcast at gmail.com. That is one word, thesoulnextdoorpodcast at gmail.com. We are planning to have these episodes up on a monthly basis for now, as we are relying on your contributions. So, if you'd like to talk about a topic that's important to you, on this show, feel free to send in your ideas, maybe even your audios or your script to said email address. Again, the Soul Next Door Podcast at gmail.com. Plus, we'd love to connect via social media. You can find us on TikTok and on Instagram at the Soul Next Door Podcast. Have a wonderful day, everyone. See you next time.